Thanks for listening to the Best of Coast to Coast podcast. Become a Coast Insider to hear the rest of this fascinating conversation. And check out recent shows where we learned about scientific efforts to revive the woolly mammoth, the latest in military drone technology, and the mysterious Shroud of Turin. And you can listen to those programs and many more amazing Coast shows by heading over to coasttocoastam.com and signing up for Coast Insider. Now, here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Michael, let's uh, describe Enoch. Of course, he was the father of Methuselah, who lived 900-some years. I want to get into that in a second. Mm -hmm. He was the great-grandfather of Noah as well. But the book of Enoch is what? Yeah, the book of Enoch is actually uh, really a compilation, an assemblage of several books. Uh, You know, if you... You look at it as a whole, it's got 108 chapters, and, and those chapters, again, scholars have, I think for good reason, you know, determined that, you know, that the original composition wasn't all 108 chapters. There was a core of it, and then it gets added to as time goes on. But uh, the material itself is is, is pretty ancient. Uh, in terms of manuscript evidence that we have, it goes all the way back into the 2nd century B.C., maybe even you know earlier than that. There are fragments of it uh, found among the Dead Sea Scrolls. And, uh, you know, again, it's, it has a long history. Uh, it, it informed biblical thinking. New Testament writers had read this book. And that's really what uh, my book, Reversing Hermon, is about. I, I really want to try to get people to appreciate the role that the Book of Enoch played in the thinking of those who wrote the New Testament. They were, they were very familiar with this book, and they assumed their audience would be familiar with it, too. And so they just drop words and phrases and scenes and you know, different things into their own material, you know, the books of the New Testament that people probably know a little bit more readily. But a lot of that stuff, you know, if you had the Book of Enoch in your head, you would be just picking up, you know, a lot, you know, lots of things that are telegraphed that would help you be a more intelligent reader of the New Testament. So it was a really important book. Michael, the Bible says that Enoch lived 365 years before he was taken by God. Uh, mm-hmm. This taken sounds almost like an extraterrestrial abduction case, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, people always, always, you know, bring that up. They'll, you know, they'll reference language like that. You know, we're actually not given any specifics. Um, you know, it actually says Enoch walked, walked with God and and was not. You know, essentially, like you know, he was gone. He was gone. Poof. You know, yeah, well, yeah, poof. You know, was was no more. But there, there are no details actually given to it. But and we actually see, uh, you know, mostly in, in in the book of Enoch. But there are other, you know, other places where, you know, Enoch is still in the picture. So you you kind of you know get an idea of what he's doing, and you know he's interacting with, uh, you know, members of the spiritual world. And so he's not like gone, gone. But he's he's out of the picture as far as you know his human relationships, human existence, and that sort of thing. So on one hand, on one hand, yeah, you know the 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 account sort of lends itself to to mystery, but on the other hand, uh, there's a lot actually said about uh, Enoch and the role he plays, really as an intercessor between God and, again, to use his terminology, the Watchers, uh, who uh, you know rebel against God and try to corrupt humanity. Are the Watchers demons, the devil, who, who, fallen angels? Who are they? Yeah, that, that's really a good question because, again, I, I'm I'm sort of famous or infamous for this, but um, you know, a lot of what people, especially Christians, um, you know, who take the Bible seriously, a lot of what they think they know about demonology and angelology, 
is really the product of church tradition and is not the product uh, of the Bible itself. And certainly the Bible read uh, in its own original context, which in the case of the New Testament is, you know, the first century and the few centuries preceding that, and of course the the Older Testament. Uh, The Watchers are not uh, the demons of the Gospels, and that, that surprises a lot of people. Uh, they're they're connected uh, to where demons come from, uh, but they're not technically the same. You, a- you actually have different groups of, of bad guys, if I can use sort of that, mm-hmm. that kind of parlance. You have different rebellions. I, I like to illustrate it this way. If you, if you ask the average Christian, hey, why is the world so messed up? The answer you're going to get is, well, that, that's the fall. You know, it's Adam and Eve and Satan and the serpent and all that kind of stuff. And you know, again, that, that's because that's the way we're, we're taught to process that question. If you ask the average first-century Jew, someone living in the intertestamental period, you know, who would have been alive at the time of Jesus, if you ask them the same question, that is not the answer you would get. They would say, well, there's actually three reasons why the world is the way it is and just so messed up. There's the fall, you know, Adam and Eve, the story. But then there's the Genesis 6 story, the Watcher story, the sons of God and, and the human women. And then there's also what happened at Babel. Uh, and in the in the Jewish mind of, of antiquity, those things were all connected. Uh, it wasn't just one; it was three. And church tradition has more or less squelched uh, the you know numbers two and number three. Uh, my, I run into you know believers, people who would call themselves believers, Bible believers, all the time, whether they're you know just lay folk or scholars, and they really. You know, demythologize mm-hmm. parts of the Bible, like Genesis six, and of course the Babel event, and you know that that's too weird, you know, to give you know any time, you know, any any real serious thought to it. But there, somehow that, you know, the Adam and Eve story, the serpent story, that's not weird. And and my my response to that is, hey, look, you know, it's all strange. <laughs> you can't really pick and choose here. You know, do do you uh, are you going to embrace? You're going to believe what the biblical writers believed and, and gave you. Uh, in, in this thing we call the Bible, or are you not? Were they eyewitnesses, in your opinion? I think they were eyewitnesses to some things and, and not other things. Uh, it, you know, it, and sometimes you can tell that pretty clearly. Um, you know, from the, the you know from the events themselves. I'll give you an example. I was actually working on on an article today about the baptism of Jesus. Well, you know, you, you take the four gospel writers: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. None of them are ever described as being at the scene, but, you know, they wrote about it. And so, you know, there you have an, an instance where they're not eyewitnesses, but they certainly knew lots of people who were. Right. And, you know, they, they get the information, they put it into their gospel, their, their history of the life of Jesus later on. So sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. You have discussed the Antichrist. How does that fit into this? Yeah, re- reversing Hermon, I actually devote two chapters to this. Again, the, people need to realize, again, what, what I'm trying to do in the book. I'm trying to, again, get people to read their Bible, in this case, the New Testament, the way the writers would have thought about it. The, the, I, want, I want them to sort of be informed and, and have the have the first century person living in their head. Um, and the book of Enoch again, is very important for New Testament thinking. And believe it or not, the whole notion of an Antichrist actually factors into this. There are, it's going to sound maybe a little bit bizarre to people who might be new to, to your show, I mean, if, if you have a, 
you know, a situation where people are used to the content of the show. This might not sound so unusual, but uh, some people it, it might. But something as presumably familiar to us as the Antichrist actually has roots in the book of Enoch and really the way a first century person would have thought about that figure actually involved Genesis 6 and the sons of God and the watchers and in this case also the the Nephilim, the giants. And what I'm trying to do in this book is give people not my speculation you know, on these things, but to take peer-reviewed scholarship in the field of New Testament, in the field of ancient Judaism uh, that I've collected over the years and, and really have benefited from in terms of research, and make all of that decipherable and show people how scholars have connected these things. And it might sound, again, really strange that a figure like the Antichrist would actually have something to do with events before the flood and events associated with Babylon, but they really do. Uh, and it's, it's kind of fascinating, actually. Who do you think the Antichrist might be? You know, I, there's an appendix uh, in, in my book about this. I, I personally um, gravitate toward the view that the Antichrist will not be a Jew. I mean, that, there's a difference of opinion there in scholarship, Jew or Gentile, you know, Jew or non-Jew. Uh, I think he, uh, he will be a, a non-Jewish person, and that's basically because the Old Testament material that factors into this, and, and yes, I said Old Testament, but when we hear Antichrist, we think of New Testament stuff because of the word Christ. But all the Antichrist is, is the great end times enemy of the Messiah. And even before the time of Jesus, there were Jews expecting a Messiah, naturally. And so they also had a profile in their heads of, of what the enemy, you know, who would confront the Messiah would be like, even before there, you know, Jesus was here even before there was a church, before there was Christianity. And the way they thought about these these things, it had to be a Gentile, because in the book of Daniel, especially chapters 9 through 11, sort of the prototype for the Antichrist was a person named Antiochus IV, also known as Antiochus Epiphanes. And he, in his life, sort of fulfills or aligns with a wide range of things that are said about the Antichrist. And we know that the Antichrist wasn't Antiochus IV because Jesus lived after Antiochus, and Jesus is still talking about a future Antichrist. But he was a, was a Gentile, and he becomes sort of the prototypical reference point for a lot of Antichrist talk. And again, believe it or not, it connects back to Babylon, back to the Sons of God, back to the Watchers. Uh, and you know, there's just lots of, of data there that... You know, the, the casual Bible reader, even the Bible student, doesn't really realize is there. And so in reversing Hermon, again, I'm trying to get this material to people. So if they're interested, there's a lot of ancient material that should factor into the way we think about these things. With the, uh, with the Antichrist, are we close to end times right now? Yeah, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think there's any way to predict that. I actually would agree with what uh, Gerald Salente said last hour that we really can't predict the future. <laughs> um, I would say this though, that there are things. I mean, you can look at, at at certain things on on a geopolitical level, on a spiritual level, and you can make statements like, "Boy, you know, there." I don't really know what would be missing from the profile. Uh, in other words, there are a number of things that we could sort of mentally align with certain biblical statements that, 
you know, hey, you know, this would fit this thing, this would fit the other thing, this sure looks like this, this sure looks like that. Uh, we're just not given a, a timeline or any way to know for sure. My my view of prophecy, uh, incidentally, and this might be new to a lot of people as well, but a lot of people try to figure out, you know, what's going to happen. I personally believe that prophecy is deliberately cryptic. It's not accidental. And where I get that from is uh, the Apostle Paul, in, in his first letter to the Corinthians, he's talking to them and he says, look, fellows, you know, had the rulers uh, you know, of this world known, and that, that's a famous you know, Pauline phrase for the powers of darkness, you know, spiritual, spiritual evil, had they known what the fallout would have been, they never would have crucified Jesus. In other words, if, if, the, if the powers of darkness had known what was going to happen as a result of the crucifixion, that in biblical thinking, that was the key event. They never would actually, have gone through with it. Right. Yeah. They, they ne- they're not idiots. They never would have done it had they known this is the key event to sort of undermine them and lead to their own defeat. And so my, my view of a lot of this stuff is actually, hey, look, the, the first time around it was deliberately cryptic, again, to hide certain things. You know, God doesn't need to you know put all his cards on the table, so to speak. And the, the cryptic part of it was really important so that, again, intelligent evil wouldn't know what was going on. And so my view is, look, what, why should we expect anything different the second time around? You know, we can get a little glimpse, but even with the first coming, even the, the, the first set of circumstances, even the New Testament writers didn't know what was going on until they had hindsight, until everything, you know, played out and then they could look back and say, oh, now I remember this, I remember Jesus saying that, boy, that makes sense now. Uh, my, one of my favorite examples of this is after the resurrection, they're, they're, they're in the room, the, the upper room, and, and the resurrected Christ, you know, appears before them. There he, he's standing right in front of them, and they still don't get it. The, the no, and Thomas, what, doubting Thomas? Still yeah. doesn't get passage. it. Right? Yeah. He had, it says Jesus had to open their minds so that they would understand. And, I mean, and he's standing right there. They still don't get it. Well, that, it's not because they're dumb. It's because they weren't supposed to know beforehand. It was only after the fact that they could put all the pieces together. And I think that's how prophecy is going to work in the future, too. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.